My biggest fear of funding companies from Africa was whether the investment community here would fund them. That's Michael Seibel, the managing director of Y Combinator. What has the shift in perception been amongst the investment ecosystem here then versus now? People are trying to invest in Africa based on the conditions today. At a minimum, we're betting on what it's going to look like 10 years from now. But the smartest technical people in Africa are going to shape its future. You've taken a keen interest in supporting the development of the African tech ecosystem. Well, what's interesting is often I find myself telling the Nigerian founders like... Back in September, I hosted an investor event in San Francisco with the early stage fund Microtraction. At that event, I was joined in conversation with Michael Seibel, the managing director of Y Combinator, and Kwamina Afool, a founding partner of Microtraction. Michael has been an avid supporter of the African tech ecosystem. Since his first trip to Lagos in 2016, and since Paystack joined YC's winter batch earlier that year, the number of African startups that have participated in the global accelerator has grown to 89. And for Microtraction, the early stage fund was founded in 2017 in part in relation to this increased global interest in the African tech ecosystem, where Microtraction's early financial support and local know-how could help fill the gap. This conversation with Michael and Kwamina was a fun deep dive into their shared perspectives on the opportunities they see and their bets on African talent. This episode of The Flip is sponsored by MFS Africa. MFS Africa is the leading digital payments gateway, which connects over 500 million mobile wallets across over 1,000 cross-border corridors and in over 40 countries across the African continent. Throughout this season, we'll hear from the MFS Africa team about their work to create a borderless world. In this episode, we're joined by Rashi Gupta, MFS Africa's Group Chief Operating Officer, for a conversation on MFS Africa's Payments Hub. At MFS Africa, we strive for true interoperability across the various stores or channels of payments. We started our journey with mobile money and banks. We have now added cash pickups in countries where mobile money is is not very prevalent or the number of unbanked remains high. We are able to connect mobile money uh, and banks to cards, which allows uh, the international reach of consumers. What we want to be is we want to be Africa's omni-channel payments partner for the world. So we have not used the same brush to pay all the 54 countries. Rather, we understand each country, the specificities of it, of it and then cater our solution for it. So just looking at the different problems that we are trying to solve or different stores of value that we are trying to connect to and seeing what are the specificities of each one of them and designing our product according to that rather than a generic product that that may or may not work with the different countries or, or different uh, technologies. If in a country, mobile money is more prevalent, we focus on mobile money. If it's banks, we focus on banks. If it's cash pickups, agents, we focus on that. For us, that understanding of on-the-ground realities has been very important to making our technology and network successful. Before you start, can I do one thing and um, publicly give Michael his flowers? I always try to, you know, he hates it when I do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. When Michael came to Nigeria for the first time, um, and I said this to you, Anne, um, maybe around seven years ago, I think there, was, there had been no Nigerian company in Y Combinator, only one, right? And Michael came and, you know, um, spent a lot of time with the ecosystem with people like us, inspired us to start Microtraction. I was actually whinging and bitching about what YC does to valuations. And he was like, just shut up and start something. <laughs> Basically. And, um, I invested, I invested. Yeah, he also invested, which is really cool. Um, so he's been a huge supporter of the ecosystem. And I can tell, say definitively, after Michael's trip, maybe 10 Nigerian companies went to Y Combinator that year. 
and there's been many 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 more since then and many more african companies have gone to y combinator since then so and at least in my timeline of african tech history there's before michael seibel <laughs> and there's after michael seibel so he's played a huge role in transforming african tech and i just want to like just take a moment and give him his flowers and tell him it's his best I saw somebody tweeted that you deserve an honorary chieftaincy. Yes, 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 yes. And Ghana too. We, we, just, fund, we just fund companies. That's all. <laughs> um, but I, I actually want to start there and, um, you know, Carmena stole my thunder a little bit, but maybe we can just start, Michael, with why you're, you know, from a personal perspective and also a why commoner perspective, you've taken a keen interest in, you know, supporting the development of the, the African tech ecosystem and, and building the bridges in the way that you have. I'll say the general theory behind YC is that smart people are everywhere and the best people aren't the best credentialed when they start. They can't be, right? And so, um, you know, Bill Gates didn't spend 10 years working at Microsoft. He made Microsoft, right? And so you have to be willing to give people, smart people money early in their careers and take a bet on it. And that thesis is not limited by borders like there's smart people everywhere and my biggest fear of funding companies from Africa was whether the investment community here would fund them and I remember Shola with Paystack coming to do YC and it taught me a couple of things one the Nigerian ecosystem will fund Nigerian companies especially if they suspect Americans are gonna move in and <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of FOMO yeah a little FOMO never hurt anything and then on the flip side, um, the American ecosystem at the early stages feels comfortable as well funding founders. And so um, I thought it was my job to help. Yeah. Yeah. YC helped me. And, and so we went from 2016, you, you guys admitted Paystack, you weren't sure if Silicon Valley would be interested, to now 89 African companies have come through Y Combinator. And what has the sort of, um, as you've seen it, the, the shift in perception been amongst the investment ecosystem here then versus now? I think that it's much more common that someone's invested in globally now than it was back then. Um, I think it's much more common that an investor will have markups from their global investments, which is really nice. Um, those are two positives. I would say the negative is like, we're out of this zero interest rate bullshit. And so across the board, globally and domestically, people have to figure out what the real businesses are and what the fake businesses are. And I think that, uh, you know, that's tricky. Certainly the argument that we would make is there's a lot of real businesses in the African context because there's so much to be built. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Carmena, you just talked about financial services and Michael, I've heard you talk a lot about or infrastructure. Um, Combs, maybe do you want to talk a little bit more about, you know, first level maybe with Paystack payments has been solved. You talked about credit. Um, solved? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Not, maybe not solved. Okay. But in the wicks. Being, being addressed to a greater capacity, or maybe it's the first level that needs to be addressed before other stuff can be built on top. How do you think about this core infrastructure? question as it relates to payments not being solved, but then you talked about credit and other things that can be built on top. Yeah, I mean, maybe seven, eight years ago, if you couldn't even take a payment online easily, you couldn't start any type of online commerce-based business with reach. So that had to come first, right? You had to first basically 
um, fix that. But remember what we said about the five regions, right? So it's complex. So it hasn't been that easy for um, Paystack or Flutterwave to scale yeah. that quickly, right? You would expect them to just be in 54 countries. No, I mean, I think Paystack today is in three or four and Flutterwave is in 11 on paper, but maybe really active in, in a major way in five, right? So payments is on its way, but it's definitely not solved. Then when you have payments, you then want people to be able to easily pay from different countries with different types of wallets. So it then became interesting to then look at businesses that had, were setting up wallets and making it easy for, you know, but distribution of anything consumer is hard on the continent, right? So the telcos have taken the charge on the wallet side. And then I think the fintechs have to then add extra value add beyond what the telcos are providing for their wallets to make sense. And now, okay, now, now people have wallets, they can pay, then it becomes interesting. Okay. How do they move money around? Like, I, like I was giving an example, if I go and visit my friend in the neighboring country, like new different currency, you know, and I can't pay with my card. Right. So, so how do I fix that? So that's where it becomes interesting to then have, um, different, different ways of actually interchanging money and making peer to peer remittance and moving money cross border much easier. And I think self custody wallets are going to do, um, a lot of work there. And then really the. You would think the telcos would have fixed it because MTN is in like 11 African countries, but each mobile money entity is completely separate and it's not interchangeable. So I can't take my Ghana CDs on an MTN mobile money wallet and go to Cote d'Ivoire and just change it to Frank, which is crazy. You would think that would be the case, but because the regulatory framework and the separate entities and the shareholders are different and all those types of things, it then, it then gets a bit difficult. So that's why I think self-custody then becomes the solution because it maybe overcomes some of that. You, you raise an interesting point about the expectation of big incumbents to solve these problems and they, they don't really. And I think we're seeing, and Michael, I've heard you talk about verticalization as well. You talked about it in your presentation of taking this vertical focus. So maybe how how should we think about focusing on verticals? Michael, you could, you could talk about the focus on verticals on top of the first layer of infrastructure that's being built. So I wanna preface what I'm saying with everything is like a 5% chance of success. So I don't like the different regions. Uh, it hurts software companies to be limited by borders. 100%. And so I think I kind of think about this problem two different ways. One way is like, okay, I'm going to fund companies that are regulated by governments um, because like they're insulated from global competition. Banking is a big example, um, but we're going to have to pay stack flutter with problem. On the other side, I'm thinking, how do I fund software companies that are immune to that? I most recently funded an enterprise software company that sells to banks. And like, uh, these guys are in, uh, Central Africa, all the banking software from the local bank comes from France. It's like nothing, basic banking stuff, but none of the relevant features for the region. And it's crazy to sell a big bank software when you're a two person startup. But the 5% bet is that like, we can cross the borders. 100%. And so um, a lot of what I'm trying to figure out is how to cross borders. And the second thing I'm figuring out that's like really tricky is like we, you know, we funded so much crypto remittance and like so much crypto crap. And it is obviously the way you get low cost remittance. 
Yeah. Right. Like it's like stable coins. I completely agree with your point. Yeah. I think the funny, interesting, kind of crazy thing is that what we're really talking about here is how governments control their currency. And like the thing that no one's comfortable saying is that like everything would work better if the government just didn't control the currency, right? Yeah. That's what stablecoin really means, right? Yeah. <laughs> and that is tricky. Like when I talk to these founders, I'm like, you can't live in the country that you are trying to make this work in, mm-hmm. which is a different yeah. challenge. Um, but I do believe like one day stablecoins have the best shot at solving this problem. Um, and then I would say maybe the last thing I think about a lot is other areas where you can go cross border where being on the ground matters, right? So like we funded a company that does auto parts distribution. Yeah. And it's just like, you can't do that from the cloud. Like yeah. some motherfucker has to hand people parts, yeah. right? <laughs> um, and so I'm just looking at all of these areas where it's insulated from global competition it's solving a real world problem, not inventing a problem, and it can move cross border. Yeah. But man, that present, I mean like that map, that's my problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to I'd love to pretend like that map doesn't matter. <laughs> right. I get but, to do that. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. but it does, you know. What it just means is that maybe it's 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 so for example, in 10 years I see much bigger consolidation things, right? Sure. Because if somebody has worked really hard to get Francophone right, and somebody has worked really hard to get East Africa right, or something, you can then just come in as a consolidator and kind of take stake yes. and then get creative, right? Yes. But but the reality is also, it's also sometimes a competitive advantage for founders who work out how to navigate that map. And there are ways, you know, but it's just, it's just, you know, it just means it's a bit slower. Well, what's interesting is often I find myself top telling the Nigerian founders, like, you, you can't copy the US, right? Like in the US, if you're doing something that has on the ground physical element, you know, it probably makes sense to take over the top 10 to 25 markets in the US before you get one international market. Yeah. Does it make sense to take the top 25 cities in Nigeria before you move to your first non-Nigerian city? Probably not. Yeah. And so there's a lot of areas where like people want to copy the thing that worked here and I'm like, they look at me like you're saying some really crazy shit and I'm just like yeah I'm saying the thing that works in America won't work in West Africa (laughs) and you know oftentimes I ask folks what are the 10 cities that matter to you like what are your first 10 cities and how many of them are going to be in country and that's a very different conversation and I think an added layer of complexity that I want to address in, in, in the context of this conversation also is the nature of African markets, many of them being analog, right? So we talk about mobile money, but mobile money is built on top of a physical infrastructure of agent networks and physical cash in, cash out, human ATMs. And you talked about auto parts. Um, You know, this idea also as venture investors, right? Traditionally investing in zero marginal cost software businesses versus the very offline nature of African markets. How do you guys think about, you know, investing in companies that have to solve problems that are physical in nature versus the yeah, the, I guess, yeah. the deal investment case in software businesses. <laughs> I mean, I think it's a reality. Like, the truth is, like, for me, I think of, you know, if you look at the themes you talked about and how we think about it, we, founders should solve problems and use technology to reduce their cost or increase their revenues quicker, right? And they should be solving real problems. It doesn't matter that, you know, that auto pass business, I have no doubt they have people on the ground 
yeah. they go to the markets and go and collect things from the ports, so on and so forth. So, yeah. like, the technology should just make it more efficient. That's why you don't see AI as a theme for us, even though AI is blowing it everywhere. Because for me, it's, it's a capability that is embedded into whatever problem you're solving, right? So, so very much, I think founders will solve the problems they need to solve. There must be big enough problems for them to be profitable businesses. And it doesn't matter if there's a manual element to it. It's just software or technology helps you do it faster, cheaper, and maybe get customers quicker. And really, I, I keep it at that fundamental, simple level. Right? Yeah, I would say the way that I'm trying to attempt to solve that problem is pivoting my fintechs from consumer to enterprise. I think the thing that I wanted to believe was that the banks would be disrupted. And like, that was the very naive American thing. But it was weird because it's what all the founders wanted to believe too, right? The so banks play a different role. I just think the banks aren't going anywhere. Yes, they're not going anywhere. <laughs> and their role is different. Well, yeah. And so I've been, you know, for example, we have a, a card issuing company with a deal with MasterCard, right? And they were originally trying to serve a bunch of fintechs. And eventually I said to them, you know, why don't you just try to sell this to a bank? And they're like, oh, enterprise sales, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, but like, Nigerian banks bank the whole fucking country. Like, you know, like they actually have the problem and they actually have a hard time building good technology. Like you don't have to serve a customer who themselves doesn't have product market fit. You can serve a customer who has customers who want this thing and they just can't provide it. And I, I've been surprised at how my mind is kind of changed on that because it oh. just seems like the banks aren't going away. I mean, we just had crypto. Oh infinite investment in consumer fintech and mobile phones and the banks are still there yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so it's like okay like I'm, I'm like process elimination maybe we have to work with them yeah <laughs> definitely i mean at a macro level simplicity just so you understand african banks for, for everybody here african banks mobilize deposits from big enterprises governments and high net worth individuals and deploy those deposits in treasury bills and federal debt. That's their business model. They're not interested in lending to consumer. They're not interested in building it. They mobilize deposits and buy um, government paper. That's their core business in a nutshell. So they won't go anywhere because the space you are disrupting as a fintech, they are frankly not interested. <laughs> but everyone has bank account. Yes. So what do you do with like, so that, and that's where they get paid. They're just using it to mobilize deposits. Yes, yes, yeah, exactly. Buy TVs, yes, right? Yes, so yes, so yes. They're, they're frankly, so when you're trying to like create a credit card for the customer and bank them and, you know, cool tools, they are not interested. They want you to do it. So you work with them. Yeah. You do it. And then when it's big enough, they're like, huh, okay, yeah, this is big enough. Maybe now we acquire it. Well, what's interesting is like the dirty little secret of both of the companies I'm pushing towards banks is that the use cases are business use cases, not consumer. Like yeah. one is a uh, a payroll use case where like how do you process payroll in regions of the country where there aren't bank branches, mm. and like you know how, and it's a big problem. It's a big problem for government. Like how do you mm. pay the army? And then the other one was um, card issuing for employees for workers. Mm. And so it's been interesting to navigate that because like. You have a bunch of founders who are like, oh, like to your point, who are like, oh, consumers are getting screwed. And you've got banks being like, I, I literally don't care. <laughs> and like, you've got companies and what do you tell them to do? And you're like, well, you know, if the bank's a customer, maybe you should figure out what the bank wants yeah. and do that. And I think um, it's going to be interesting because I think 
it's counterintuitive to think that you could compete in enterprise software against the Western companies, but those large institutions in Africa have different problems. Yeah. And like the Western software companies are not addressing those. Yeah, Oracle's, you know, system doesn't deal with last mile for, you know, 800 million people type of thing. So, or mobile money via USSD code. No. You know, so I think it's, it's... So we'll see. We'll see. But it's been tricky, man. This season of The Flip is all about sharing lessons and insights from some of the most experienced and esteemed founders from across the African tech ecosystem. And it's a mission for which we're proud to partner with Norskin22 to share wisdom and insights from the fund's unicorn board as well. We know that advisors and mentorship are an important part of the venture funding process. And throughout this season, we are speaking to and learning from the successful founders, operators, and investors from Norskin22's unicorn board. In this episode, we're joined by Willard Adretz, the founder and chairman of Cobalt Music Group, the music publishing company which on average represents over 40% of the top 100 songs and albums in the US and the UK. When the digital transformation happened, I saw that there was a huge opportunity to go back and actually change and transform the industry to a fair and transparent system using technology. So uh, with that, we created a most trusted music company in the world. And today, Cobalt, you know, represents 50% of the top 100 from The Weeknd to Paul McCartney. And we wanted to change the music industry to fairness and transparency. And that purpose-driven and the big challenges we see, both on the Africa continent and in, in the climate, made me very excited, combined with the people. The talent is enormous. The opportunities to transform and take fundamental shifts in what kind of services, if it is health, finance, or climate, is enormous. Using technology to scale is extremely powerful. And obviously, as a startup, you have not legacy cultures, legacy systems. You have nothing to lose. Because if you're a big company, a lot of companies doesn't like to cannibalize their own business. And that is your opportunity to deliver a transformative service to your clients or customers. And technology gives us that opportunity. And, and thinking about um, from a macro perspective, right? Every um, African startups presentation talks about population size. If there ought to be more of an enterprise focus, particularly from a fintech perspective, are there different heuristics that we should be thinking about as it relates to the scope of the opportunity in the context of the population size picture that everyone likes to talk about when we talk about Africa? My only answer to that is like, I think that our thesis is really simple. The smartest technical people in Africa are gonna shape its future. And like sometimes when I look at the founders we fund in their 20s, I think to myself, like, these people are going to run major parts of the economy in their countries or in the region. Like, these are the smart people who now have great network and resources. And they care greatly to make the place better than they found it. And I kind of feel like I don't need much more of a thesis than that. It's like, support those folks, and they are going to make they're going to solve the problems. Yeah. Exactly. And like, if I'm thinking too much about how to solve the problems from here, hey, that's not like, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. uh, specifically <laughs> on the market size thing, you say it has to be really looked at more specifically based on 
like what is the problem that's being solved so for example if you're talking about like africa has i don't know one billion people so it's a huge addressable market but what you're selling you're looking for ARPU average revenue per user of ten dollars i can tell you that's not the one billion people you're now down to like a few hundreds of thousands right so then in that case then it becomes important to do what we talked about before which is like to focus on the african diaspora get legitimacy from the African base, then bring in the African diaspora, for example. If you're talking about something that's more mass market, then it really matters that there's 1 billion people. So it's, yeah. it's very, it, it, it gets overused, that total population. It has to be looked at in the context of the service you are provided and the income bracket you're targeting. Right. The only thing I'll add to that is I think sometimes I made the mistake of thinking things work quickly and like made that mistake both in the US and internationally and look, we just did this analysis of YC companies. This, I'm embarrassed I'm saying this. This is the first time we actually figured out the revenue of every single company that we've invested in. And we did a comparison to the valuation and um, there is so much work left to do. And so sometimes I think that like people are trying to invest in Africa based on the conditions today, whereas like I think at a minimum, we're betting on what it's going to look like 10 years from now, 100%. at a minimum. 100%. And so I think that's what's um, tricky. It, that's hard. This is hard for people to understand, you know? Even in the US, it's, it's very hard. Yeah. So um, that's why I don't try to, that's why the thesis above anything else is invest in smart people, because You'll figure it out. They'll figure it out. <laughs> I think we, we, we talk a lot about this TAM today versus TAM tomorrow question in, in the African context. I think maybe in, in some instances, you know, we talk about fintech and fragmentation. The market size question might be a little bit of a misnomer because there's um, some regulatory hurdles. I think where population size absolutely does matter, which you talked about, is um, in the context of labor, right? Um, yeah. So the stat that I always like to talk about is the African population is going to add more people to the workforce in the next 10 years than the rest of the world combined, right? You talked a lot about um, connecting African talent to global opportunities, which I do think is a big opportunity, but I'm wondering if you think about this talent question as it relates to local opportunities, as it relates to education upskilling. You know, your example that you gave was um, a Nigerian teacher who's now doing customer support, but then there's a question of who are the teachers, right? Mm -hmm. um, so how else do you think about this this talent question? Because I think it's, in my opinion, a very important question, almost from like a geopolitical perspective in light of how fast the population is gonna grow and how many people are entering the workforce. Do you want to go first? You go first. Um, for me, talent will find maximum value for itself globally. Yes. Right? Um, in the last 12 months to 18 months, we've lost so many people <laughs> across our companies to Canada and to, um, you know, um, to, to the U.S., right? So talent will find maximum value for itself. That's, that's the reality. So, so in my view, we like companies that help them find that maximum value, make it possible to see their work, pay them, interact with them, right? We like businesses like that. I do think it, there's also room for companies that then train up new crops of talent. So we like companies that help talent and connect people in talent. And we like companies that are constantly training to your point of the, the teacher becoming a customer service people. New teachers need to be trained, right? And so on and so forth. So we like companies that do that too. But it's undeniable that 
talent being on export is going to be a big theme. I think the the more bigger geopolitical issues, maybe, you know, avoiding more of a brain drain of people fleeing and maybe people being able to interact, not maybe flee, but interact. That would be my wish and ideal. But, um, you know, talent will find its place always. So we need to facilitate that. Yeah, this one's been hard for me because um, everyone I talk to sees fleeing as the right, as the goal. <laughs> right? From um, the perspective of the people. From the of that, yeah. Of, that of individual. The, exactly, yeah. yeah. Like, um, but I also think that that teacher who now makes 5K, think about all of the, like that money is spent in Nigeria, uh -huh. right? And like, much way better. Um, and so, you know, we funded companies tr desperately trying to give foreign workers U.S. bank accounts so that they can get jobs and get paid and hold USD so that it can um, retain value and then be spent in country. And I do think that can be a main driver. And I, I don't know what's better. Like classically, it'd be setting up a factory. Is that better than setting up a call center? I don't think so. Um, and so um, I think what's important is that those workers are getting paid and spending that money in country. And yeah. like right now, you know, it's it's been interesting. Like we funded a number of companies who are trying to get U.S. banks to give foreign businesses bank accounts and foreign individuals bank accounts. And if they can crack that, I just think it's way easier to get hired. So we'll see. YC also has, you know, their requests for startups, and one theme is one million jobs, right? I think that's maybe more in the the U.S. context, but I'm curious to know if there's any um, thoughts or lessons as it relates to this idea of one million jobs that might be relevant for the African context, and, and maybe as a part B to that question, how you reconcile that in the this age of AI that we're in today. I think that the biggest driver of jobs from the technology startup world in the last decade has been the, the gig economy. And um, I assume that as African economies grow, the gig economy is gonna become more and more and more viable. And so um, it's really f interesting. The gig economy is this like tricky thing that I never know how to talk about because on one hand, it's mildly exploitative. Um, the workers don't really have union style rights and representation. On the other hand, it puts a lot more food on kids' tables to eat every night than like the dev tool does. <laughs> and so, um, but if you were to ask me, that's already happening, and I assume it's gonna it's gonna expand. Um, but this AI stuff, AI can't drive someone somewhere, can't deliver anything, can't like. Well, we did see some of the self-driving cars here. <laughs> it, it, can't, it, it can't take that food and walk it into your house. Yeah, yeah like, I don't, I don't, I don't think the AI stuff is... That uh, self-driving car doesn't work in Nigeria. No. <laughs> no. No. That's also... God, no. It barely works in San Francisco. <laughs> so. In Nigeria, yeah. be upside down. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't think any of the AI stuff is going to really hurt the African market. I think in, in the context of this talent question, one thing that, you know, Shio and I like to talk about is what Africa's comparative advantage is. And you talked about culture, youth population. Um, 
I, I, I'm hoping, Kwamena, you can expand a little bit on how, how to capture that opportunity. What sorts of infrastructure needs to be built to not only capture the opportunity that exists in terms of the rise of prominence of Afrobeats and Nollywood, et cetera, but, but also how to further stimulate the development. They, they talk in the creator economy a lot about you know, needing a middle class, right? So what needs to happen in order to allow African creators to um, make a living from what they're doing? So a lot of the things Michael alluded to already. So it's, it's like basic stuff like bank accounts being easy, being able to receive payment, make payment, participate on global platforms, being able to use global tools, whether it's global music tools. It will shock you how many artists in Africa um, till recently have a problem with how to publish all their songs on the big global platforms that pay. It's, it sounds like such a simple thing, but you need, you need a US bank account. You need this, you need that. So they'll end up paying a middle distribution company that does that for them. Whereas in other parts of the world, you just go online and you do that stuff yourself because you have a US bank account, a US address, and you know, so on and so forth. Or even even till recently, I mean, it was quite recent, first pay for Google ads. Yeah. This, is, like, this is a basic thing. Pay for Google ads and Facebook ads, you needed a foreign bank account or a foreign card. And then they turned on Nigerian cards and then they were charging in dollars and then your Nigerian bank accounts would be confused and turn it off and you know, all sorts of things. So like some of the basic infrastructural things are important. Then beyond that, I think it's, it's, it's actually like better tools and better things that allow them to participate and plug in. And then it's, I think in the creator economy specifically, I think there's, there's a way to monetize, you know, volume. If I'm an Af African creative, which I'm not at all, I wish I was, mm -hmm. but if I was an African creative, I would, I would want a huge audience or base. And then I would want to work with brands to be able to monetize that audience or base. So even if I'm not making money from that audience or base, I would then want a platform that allows me to share that base with the brand. Right. And I think those types of tools then start opening things up. Um, but we're very early. Yeah. One of the companies we funded, they started as a LLC creator. Mm -hmm. And they thought it would be valuable, you know, they were like, oh, we're going to pay with LegalZoom, make it easy to create LLCs. And what they're starting to realize is this exact point where it's like, if you want to participate on a global marketplace, and I'm including Spotify, YouTube, da 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 da, and get paid, you need a US incorporation, you need a US bank account, you need a US address. And we started talking, we started asking, how many SMBs in the next 10 years are just going to be U.S. incorporated? Like how many international SMBs are just going to be U.S. incorporated? Because like it makes it easier. And like, hey, instead of getting, you know, Airbnb to figure out payouts in some country. Hey, I, I look like a U.S. host. <laughs> yeah. And then also how many of those participants in those um, international marketplaces want to hold their money in USD and not in the local currency? And so it's funny, these folks have literally shifted from working for US-based small businesses to international-based small businesses. And it kind of goes with this larger theme I've realized, which is that many fewer platforms and incumbents are being disrupted than it looks. And a lot of international investment is how do you, how do you allow people to consume the benefits of the big incumbents versus how do you destroy and rebuild them in a more friendly way? Um, you know, YouTube wants to pay out more creators, right? They want a bigger audience, like, but um, building out payments in a bunch of different countries is hard. So um, we'll see. 
it, it, it's, it's weird if the whole crypto revolution is going to result in like everyone has U.S. bank accounts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah. it very well might. Yeah, but but I think we've learned that these big companies aren't going to solve these problems in these markets, and whether they care or not, I mean, it's a it's a such a low down area of focus to focus on Nigeria, even if Nigeria is a big country. So I completely. Yeah. That's why you startups have to not assume that at all. Hundred yeah. percent. I mean, I'll take a quick example. One of our companies, Bumper, they, they basically just allow you to, you get all these orders on Instagram, on WhatsApp, on Twitter, and all these things. But you know, the the social parts of those platforms, even including TikTok, haven't been turned on on the African continent. So they've turned on a layer for you that allows you to be like a mini shop, but then connects to all these platforms. You use one communication platform to communicate and get all these orders. They process all your payments because they're using local rails, yep. and they 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 connect you to third-party delivery platforms. That's a huge opportunity simply because those platforms aren't doing that, right? And they're not trying to replace those platforms. They're just supporting it, to yeah. your point. Yeah. Right? So what, they talk about the, what's it called, like the AI wrapper on top of whatever open AI, right? So I think that's what's happening a lot is this thin layer on top of, you know, localization on top of a global platform that enables them to actually access the global marketplace. Yep. Right. Yes. Cool. Thanks so much. Thanks, guys. Thanks Thank you, everybody. I gotta run. Guys, stay around. Here you go. Thank you.